Hey everyone, so today's a glorified rerun of a previous episode, and it ties into a project, uh, sort of, that my co-host Bob Canning ha has been doing. If you follow him on Twitter, at RHCanning, you know that he is currently counting down through all the album tracks the band Oasis ever released. So, in the spirit of that, we are reposting episode 77 from um, August 23rd, 2018, an episode where Bob and I worked our way through all the uh, 1990 studio albums of Oasis. So uh, check him out on Twitter at RHCanning, follow the hashtag at um, RankingOasis, or, or the hashtag RankingOasis, and, and listen to this older episode in its entirety. Uh, we'll be back next week with uh, something uh, new, but from the previous uh, century. Are you ready? I am, but I, I really don't think you are. And I think it's because you don't really want to talk about this band. I'm sorry that my text that was clearly saying I don't want to listen to all four made you feel that way. <laughs> I do apologize. That's all right. But I want you to know, I did listen to all four. Okay. One of them on the train. So I did skip their nine-minute song. I skipped a forward a little bit in it. Okay. Didn't, didn't change a thing. Still felt like... <laughs> <laughs> I'm listening to this song, so I want you to know okay. that I'm not lying. I gave it my all, and I enjoyed it some. Good. And I think that's how most things work. You give it your all, and what you get back is less. But you get some, you and get I some. got some. You get the sure. sum of- I got more back. I gave this band my all and, and got much more in return. Really? Yeah. And we'll talk about that. Oh, man, that's a great segue. I'm sorry I'm talking because that was good. Hey, everyone ever, and welcome to 20th Century Pop, which is what we call the show now. And I don't remember if we called it that last week, but it's true. It's, 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 a, it's, it's a slightly different title, right? Yeah, it is. And I don't think we used it last time. Is this what this is what they call rebranding re or, or changing or, or just sure rebranding? It's yeah, it, it's it's worth it. Like right, it's got an exclamation point in it. It's a little more direct when people type podcast. Podcast usually gets auto corrected, and there is a 20th century podcast. So now, pop doesn't get corrected to anything. No, maybe pap. Is that something you might call someone? Is that a, a word? No, I don't think so. Really. It's good. That's no, great. It is good. Yeah. And it's, the show is called 20th Century Pop. Right. And I, what, I wanted, and what are you called? Well, I'm I'm called Oh my god, you're right. I'm <laughs> I'm I'm Tim Blevins. <laughs> and I'm Bob Canning. And and we're trying naming to understand things. The, we're naming things differently except for ourselves. <laughs> and there is also the catchphrase. Well, you know what's sad? <laughs> A lot. What is, what? But well, I think <laughs> last week's episode, the Buffy episode, actually had a few more listeners than normal, so maybe there's sure. some carryover. Maybe more people are coming back. That'd and this nice. is what we give them. We give them this. We give them, we give them a new title and a lack of an intro. And that's what the show's about. So follow us on Twitter, everybody, because you'll get more of this. More of this. They will get more of this. They'll get more <laughs> of everything after this, too. Yes, and that's really what we'll focus on. Um, thank you. You're good. You're good at – you're concise is what you I are. I try. You're, 
I yeah. try. I just am excited. I'm very excited for this conversation. For this for for, for t- this episode for for today tonight's whenever you listen to its episode. Well, it's probably better than what we just did to jump right into that. Sure. Um you're excited because can I say something real quick? Absolutely. Um a little while back, I don't know if it was I guess it was last year actually it's almost a year ago when I say a little while back. We did an episode of of a segment called Ouvre compensating if i'm pronouncing the word uva right and it's a segment we do once in a while where we take uh an artist from the past we a filmmaker a musician an, an actor and 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 we look at their body of work in the period of time that we're allowed to discuss the 20th century and last year um and i like to think of this as one of your wedding gifts to me thank you <laughs> i had got an episode where i was able to talk about the the, the most influential and impactive uh, musician of my life, uh, Paul Westerberg. And we did an episode where you and I discussed his four solo albums from uh, from the 90s. Yeah. That was a good discussion. I enjoyed it. It was fun to kind of explore that. And what I liked a lot about it was your insight in that episode towards how I listen to this music, but also just hearing how this music and our friendship and interaction with it, how the music can sometimes represent the other person. That's egotistical. I'm, I'm a prick for saying that. But no, it makes hear, sense. Does it? Okay. Without yeah. without being too head inflating. You know, there are bands that when you think of, you think of a person. You think of how they like this music, but also it makes you think of them. And tonight, we're doing a version where if I can say, yes, more than Huey Lewis and the News, more than Harry Connick Jr., more than Huey Lewis solo albums. <laughs> to think of you, my friend Bob, and, and, and listeners, who I almost called readers, you, you should know this by now. To think of you in the world, I think of music. And when I think of music, I think mainly 90s music, but I think you know a lot of 21st century music. But what I think of the most, and what is tonight's topic is, what I believe is your favorite band of all time. Is that a correct uh, assessment? They used to be a soul place uh, winner of favorite band of all time, Oasis. Uh, but right now in my life, it's probably a tie. Travis is up there. I'm surprised to hear not your sole favorite band anymore because this is a band. And here's the thing. I, I kind of know. I don't exactly know when you first found Oasis. I, I know a little bit of the story with the albums. But for you to talk about the band of Oasis, when you first heard Oasis and was interested, what were you finding in them that drew you to them. I was finding a, a sound of music that I kind of knew I liked, but didn't have a lot of access to. What was and that, that sound, sound? That sound to me was kind of this 60s garage rock kind of sound with some 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 jangle and some melody thrown in. Were you listening to something like that at the time, or was it something I, when you found this? I then wasn't. You saw I was. That? I was thinking about this because it's like I really got into Oasis my junior year of college, which was ninety five, ninety six. So were two albums out yet, or was it just the um, one? Two albums were out when I really discovered them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was thinking the year before that, I was listening to a lot of Hootie and the Blowfish and a lot of Weezer, and a lot of Pearl Jam, but mostly Hootie and the Blowfish. I was going to say, those are all very different sounds, but okay. They were all very different sounds, but uh, yeah. But all they very American sounds. That's yeah, they were all very American. That's the American grunge movement of the time, yeah. I guess. And so when I heard Oasis. I just put Hootie and the Blowfish in with grunge? Is that, is and that we're going to leave them there. Okay. 
Okay. Um, so yeah, when I heard Oasis, it was it was new. It wasn't new, new. It was an old kind of sound from a new band, and that was exciting to me. So it was a sound you were familiar with, and you kind yeah. of knew garage. Like, what is garage? Like, not necessarily yeah. British then, more like, because there were a lot of garage bands here, I, I assume, in the States in the 60s. I know the big hits. I don't know individual songs. I know, like, The Animals, The Kingfish, yeah. uh, some other names I wish I could think of. Or like, but, the, the Trogs. Aren't they mm, a thing? That's exactly who I was trying to think of. Yeah, the Trogs. Yeah. Because when I think Garage Band, I always think like, you know, like tinny produced, not very well produced, probably one shot recording, raw, stumbling guitar songs. Right. Yes. And you're saying Oasis had that sound? Um, th- when I discovered them, they had a couple sounds. They had that sound that, you know, one take, just turn everything up and play. And then they had a more refined sound um, where they added a little more texture to what they were doing. Um, because when I discovered them, I had, and I think I've told this story uh, in a previous episode, I had been going through a buying binge because I was really getting into music around this time. And I had actually picked up their first album, Definitely Maybe, and never really got it into rotation because I was buying so much at once. Um, I didn't really have time to listen to it all. So did that have, was that a lot a common occurrence? Like you were just br- like inhaling CDs from the store. Uh, I was at this period, yes. So and you were buying stuff that you weren't even listening to. I was buying stuff that I was eventually going to be listening to. That's what I was telling myself. I don't know. I've I've said this before too. I feel like I missed that musical awakening experience that a lot of people have in high school. Um, and so when it was starting to dawn on me. Um, in college, I, I kind of went overboard, I think. Well, you were in a good place for it. Boston at the time oh, had a lot of music fantastic. stores. Fantastic, And that's going to play a part. I don't know if we can talk about it now or if we'll come to it. But being in Boston and having so many music stores and shops where you can have bootlegs and a place like Newberry Comics that was importing singles – that was a big deal and a huge reason why Oasis became such a big thing for me. Was So not so much the studio albums, but sort of this expansion of stuff, these, these odds yeah, and ends? Because, or... Yeah, because what happened, um, I heard, I think the song was Roll With It, uh, which is the first single off their second album, What's the Story, Morning Glory. I think I heard Roll With It playing over a speaker at Sam Goody or Strawberries or somewhere. <laughs> and so I picked up that album and took that home and listened to it and loved it. And I think... The whole album. Yeah, the whole album. And as I'm listening to it, I'm like, this sounds... Some of this sounds familiar. Because I had listened to Definitely Maybe. It just wasn't in rotation. And so I was kind was of Was it in your head? Like, would you have been able to pick out a song? Or the no, I don't think I could. Song? I don't think at that time I could have. But I, but the sound, the sound was there. The voice I could kind of recognize, and then also their logo, the the cool block letter, the oasis in the block, <laughs> the black and white, that that stood out. And so as soon as I was kind of putting it all together, I was like, holy shit, I already have one of their albums, and that's when it sort of blew up for me. I put that album back in, listened to it um, without looking at the next purchase that I got and trying to open that. I was actually listening to the album. Um, 
and that noise you hear is me holding the discs. Um, That's what it sounds like to hold a CD in the 90s. <laughs> and so, yeah, hearing both of those albums, both of those sounds, which while the same, because it's the same band, are, are distinct enough that it's like there's a movement going on here. This is like they go from this this raw rock to this more refined pop while still having that rock edge. And then I start reading about them and I look for more things. I'm like, oh, geez, if they've got two albums out, maybe there's a third one. I don't know. So I start looking for more things at the at the record stores and I find their singles. And by this point, they've got, I think, four singles off of Definitely Maybe and at least one from What's the Story Morning Glory. So there I've got already uh, five more, four or four, five more items to purchase, each with at least two new songs, which is basically a, a, an entire new album. You know, when you when you add it all up. And what was amazing for me is that these B-sides were just as good, if not better, than the albums. And so I was just overtaken by Oasis music in a very short amount of time. And it just left me wanting the next thing and the next thing. And it made me want to listen to them all the time and share it with people all the time, which I think is why a lot of people think of me when they hear Oasis because I would talk their ear off about it or hand them the mixtape or whatever. So you became a collector off of like within the span of hearing a song. It sounds like the way, at least the way you told the story. I mean, you, you just describe the great feeling of discovering a band. You hear that song, or you get that album and then you, and then you back then you'd rush. It's different. Now you, you find music a different way, but however it is you obtain the music, you rush out and get it. Um, but you were also getting into them. You were into them because you had gotten that album before. But but uh, the the second album, the What's the Story Morning Glory, that was a big deal on the radio. It I became mean, people, a big deal. Yeah. It wasn't at the time. It wasn't at the time. Uh, no, uh, Wonderwall might have been um, playing on on MTV, uh, but I hadn't heard it until after I had the album. You weren't collecting other bands the way... Like, I, we've talked before about Pearl Jam, and you and I would get some Pearl Jam singles. We were fans of Pearl Jam. Like, that yeah, is something you would do. I, I I did it here and there. Like, I wasn't really collecting. Like, I I had one or two Pearl Jam singles, but only because I had heard yours. Like, I think you had them, and, and I was like, oh, that song's fantastic. So, I would get that particular single. But I wasn't doing that on a regular basis. Um, seeking out more than just their initial album release. And I certainly wasn't looking for the Japanese import that had two other bonus songs or anything like that. That all started after Oasis. So were other people listening to Oasis then? Like, were you, or do you, it sounds like you said you were bringing it to other people because you're giving them mixtapes and talking about it. Did people at least know who they were? Yeah, there were a few folks at, at, uh, at college that were into them, Almost as much as I was. Yeah, definitely. Um, Okay. um, There were uh, a couple uh, girls I know that actually went over uh, to Europe for a a semester after knowing the band, becoming a fan. And part of their excitement of going overseas was to hopefully check out the band and see the band. Um, So, yeah, there were there were other fans. And I actually made I made one of those those women. I, I don't know if I gave her twenty bucks or if I said I would pay her afterwards. But I said anything unique and Oasis, please bring it back to me. And she ended up bringing back, and I'm so happy. This is such a cool item. Um, I, I've never seen it in the states at, at that time, and I doubt I would even be able to find it now. Um, they sold 
uh, plastic, they look like cigarette boxes uh, that would open up like a cigarette box would, um, kind of a flip top, to store the singles. You could buy them with the singles in them, but she knew I had them and she ended up seeing those and bought me both the Definitely Maybe and What's the Story Morning Glory cigarette cases that would store the singles. I have those from her. And so I thank her very kindly. So this was this the first thing you collected? Like you're you're collecting them. And I say this knowing to jump ahead that you had a lot of Oasis memorabilia up. I mean, Oasis is the band I equate with you. Sure. And Oasis is also, and this might be why I always think of you as your uh, being about music and music is your thing being ahead of it. Because I first heard Oasis through you before I knew them. Like Wonderwall is the first song I can recall from being on the radio and it's a song that I like and I feel like that was the hit maybe it wasn't but I feel like that was the first hit yeah. that kind of broke them mm-hmm. but I when I heard it I knew who they were only through you I already knew of them from you talking about them so they they were your thing and because it's music like I understood this at the time with comic books I understood this with toys but with music I had the bands I liked but I And I had the bands I liked that I thought nobody else knew about. But I actually, this was that experience of kind of, you were talking about a band and then, I don't know, the duration, a week, two weeks, a month later, everybody was talking about it. And I was like, you knew them. Uh. And so there is a little something in me where I'm like, you were ahead of a curve somehow. To maybe step back a minute, or or, or do you have a starting place? Let's let's talk. About, can we? Is it cool if we go through them album by album, talk about it that way? A Absolutely. Little bit and see what comes out of that. I know it's not how I heard them because, yeah, what we did today is we listened to their four albums from the '90s, and we're gonna you know the kind of chart their their growth there. To be clear, there are three studio albums from the '90s, and then um, they released a B-sides collection in I think it was 1999. So. We've included that as well. Because as the narrative progresses, that's the one I think is most important to understanding fandom and your fandom with them. But we'll get to that. We'll we'll, we'll make it to the last album because I have very clear thoughts on that album. But okay. let's start out with this first album. So they, before I knew who they were, but it sounds like you had the album in 19, what, 1994? Is that when they released Definitely Maybe? That's right. This first song, I mean, the the first song in this album, Rock and Roll Star, (laughs) which is kind of a statement in itself. I mean, I I thought it sounded like the Black Crows, kind of. Like, it sounded like American rock to me, in a way. And it's arrogant. They toured with the Black Crows. Did they really? Mm -hmm. That makes sense, but I I didn't know that. I don't know. This, And again, I don't know it's necessarily something I would have listened to, but they're arrogant, right? From the start, all of their songs are first person. It's them, I, this, you can with me. But what what I got from this album is that this they weren't a band of slackers. They weren't a band of failures. They weren't like all the bands I was listening to. <laughs> They yeah. weren't stumbling losers who couldn't figure shit out or who were, you know, the the bastards of young or whatever that is. They were they weren't even of the era. Like I listened to this album, definitely maybe, and I was thinking, this is seventies sounding, seventies arrogance and seventies excess, you know? And yeah. and not really lyrically driven. Like that is something I noticed. Like I'm not a fan of their lyrics. Their lyrics are left um, wanting for sure. Uh, 
I, which I never noticed before, but like in my and that's, car, that's go the real far. That's, that's the beauty of it? In, in a way, in a way, because that's how good the music is and that's how arrogant and, and confident they are. They don't have to write a second verse. They just repeat the first verse. That's that's enough because the music rocks. I don't know. I Because the music is good. They have a sound. They have a big sound. I don't know if it's their sound or not, but they have a pretty big sound. It's also a sound that I'm constantly hearing someone else in. You know, like that first track sounded like the Black Crows. The second track, is it Shaker Maker? Shaker Maker, yeah. Yeah, that, that starts a little bit like a Credence Clearwater Revival song, sort of like another American song, and then it goes into I'd Like to Teach the World to Sing. Like, there's... I maybe That's exactly the it. it. They were going to actually uh, have the last verse be I Like to Teach the World to Sing because the song is is uh, near identical to that, that song structure. Um, but Coca-Cola wouldn't let them do that. They couldn't get the uh, they couldn't get the rights. But what? So what do you think of like they have later on? There's a song that sounds like "Bang a Gong." Cigarettes and alcohol starts off like it's "Bang a Gong, Get It yeah. On." Like they they have they they have a '70s inspiration. They do through all of their songs that doesn't that gets me and is exciting and is a nice sort of entry entry for someone into that. But I. I don't know. What is their sound on this album? Because if it's not, to me, I felt like if it's not a band I've heard before, Live Forever, for example, the the, the third track, which I think sounds like them, sounds what I think of them, it sounds like what I think they sound like because that song sounds like Wonderwall, right? That's that's Wonderwall, isn't it? Live Forever? It's, sure, yeah. It's very, very... Uh, uh... The chord progression, I think, is very similar. Well, that's but yeah. The, the chord very... progression of of half of their songs are very similar to the other half of their songs. So um, they're very instrumentation, which is great for music. But it, it's it's just interesting to me because I'm like, I don't, I don't know their sound on this album. Like, do you listen to this album all the way through? Uh, I do. You do. I listen. There's not a song on here I would skip. There isn't. No, I absolutely love this album. I love their sound. I I get what you're saying. Um, they're clearly inspired. Um, I mean, Noel Gallagher is the uh, the the lead guitarist, the main songwriter for the band. is a a music nerd. Um, mm-hmm. So himself, that's what they're doing. He's well, he's well, showing his. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if he's doing it necessarily as. Uh, Hey, look at all the the great music I've listened to in the past. But probably is. I mean, he. Well, you said that they wanted to end that song to acknowledge the song that they're taking it from. Like, and I'm not. Yeah. I think I set out to say it like a derogatory thing. That's actually not a derogatory thing. I, I take back my almost intention of talking. <laughs> they're doing something. It's like they're 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 doing like an homage to the '70s. Is what I'm hearing on this album, and to their influences, which is what people do. And it's interesting to me that they're not at all trying to hide it right like it's blatantly there which is kind of a punk rock thing to do it's right there and i guess what's interesting is it's also well made like i don't hear garage band when i hear them i hear a very well produced u2 like sounding band like right from the get-go of this album i don't know i don't know if u2 sounding is is the way to go um certainly they've they had skilled engineers put the the album together if you knew some of the history 
of recording this album, what you're hearing, I think, is like the third version because no one could quite capture their sound. Um, What's what I heard, though? I mean, this is what they gave the world. This is this what is correct. the majority this is what of the world they, heard. This is what they gave the world. Um, but it took it took some effort to get to this well-produced album. And I still think, for me, and again, I'm still new to music when I'm hearing this band, uh, new to expanding my music uh, horizons. To me, this still sounded so much more raw and rough than the Hooties and the Hueys and the Harrys that I had been <laughs> listening to beforehand. Um, I mean, you hear like the chair squeak at the beginning of Cigarettes and Alcohol. You hear somebody laughing uh, in, in another song. Um, so it's like, to me, it was it was a lot more rough than the stuff I'd been hearing before. But this was an eye-opener to you. It blew my mind. Was this, or was this album, I guess? Like, I, you, you well, were the, saying the, you it had was, it. You it was both of it. them at the same time. Became, Both of them being this and the next one, um, what's the story, Morning Glory? Yeah. Like having both of those so close together. It's not like I heard Definitely Maybe and got to sit with it for a year and then a year later heard What's the Story, Morning Glory. I heard something off of Live Forever or excuse me, off, off of uh, Definitely Maybe and it might have been Live Forever that made me want to buy the album. And then I heard songs off of What's the Story, Morning Glory and then I was playing them back to back in in like a weekend and it was it was almost that immediate as as the the as the songs kind of poured through and i, I know that i was sitting in my little building uh private room in the suite on the sixth floor or whatever it was um listening to this alone on my bed with my eyes closed and it just washed over me song after song some hard rocking some sweet ballads you know it's just was an experience to have these both grab me uh, at the same time. Because I think you'll find, and, and we'll talk about, I mean, I, I don't know if you want to keep talking about Definitely Maybe, because I can, that because we've only touched a couple songs here. We did, because this is, I I don't know this album. I didn't know, I didn't really recognize anything off this album, except for every time I thought Wonderwall was playing. <laughs> I don't remember you playing this album, although I know the title, so I must know it from you talking about it. I found it interesting to put it on because it was not what I was expecting and yet it's exactly what they are. Like their sound, I you know, I was asking you, is this their sound? Their sound is pretty formed from this album, I think. And I know you said they went through a lot to produce it. I mean, that's, I don't know exactly how bands produce, but I'm like, to put out a first album where to, and you kind of had this experience too, where after you know them, you go back and listen to it. For me, listening to it this time, I'm like, this does sound like what I know them as. And that's, again, yeah. that's not a knock. And I think no, I was so not. ready to knock this band. Yeah. I mean, to be as an honest, example, because... I mean, we talked about Radiohead a few shows back. Well, that I would love to knock. I would <laughs> love to knock Radiohead. <laughs> but I'm just saying, as great as Radiohead is. As a band that exists as Radiohead is. Their first album does not set the stage for anything. It doesn't really give you an indication of, of who the band is or what they'll become. Nor should it, though. I feel like that, not should it, but like that's the normal progression is a band is finding itself. You, you know, either you love that first album and you don't love what comes after it, or you like it and they become something you know is the experience I've had. Hmm. It's, isn't it odd that this is, that their first album could be what they are and as we're going to see, continues 
to sound like what they are? Like, that's interesting to me. These first three albums are for sure... I mean, that's who Oasis is, and that's who Oasis, to me, will always be. I guess that's what I was going to... Like, they are this period, right? This opening period of brash, obnoxious, mid-20 pricks, because they're pricks. That is the appeal of this band, right? Uh, that's part of the appeal. I don't. I wouldn't call them pricks. They no, are. I don't mean that as an. Again, none of this is as a knock. As much as I, my notes make it seem like it. Because again, I was ready to tear this band apart. But hearing you talk about it, and as I'm talking about it, it is. I think they're the posturing of rock that wasn't there. And I don't know if this is why they became a hit in the '90s. The '90s, you have grunge, which a lot of that's phony now. But it's like it's people who just. They haven't given up, but it's kind of like the world is going to pass them by, you know. We're we're products of the '80s, and we we you know we're they're sensitive. Grunge musicians were supposed to be sensitive. Chris Cornell is a sensitive guy. The Goo Goo Dolls are not grunge, so I don't know why I said them. But this is not that. This is a couple of guys, blokes they might be called, brothers stepping on stage, brothers to each other, and 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 just. Being the kind of people that I would hate, that's the other thing, like, I like this music, but I would hate them. I would hate to know them, because they're so fucking full of their greatness. They can sing lyrics like, I'll tell you how I feel the way I feel is oh so real, which is a lame lyric. They can sing <laughs> that with this weird sort of posturing, and I, I have it in my head. I don't know exactly what they look like, but it's just <laughs> this sort of like, fuck you all, this is what we're going to do attitude, which isn't punk rock the way I'm thinking of it, but it is 70s rock. Like, they just seem like a stadium act. Where I can't picture them playing tiny clubs right from the beginning. They seem like a stadium act. And sure. I know the comparison, and the one that I was even going to make is always the Beatles, but I don't think they were doing the Beatles. I think they were doing whatever came after the Beatles. I think they liked the Beatles, and I know they perform a lot of Beatles songs, and they have an accent, and they have a lot of musical cues that sound like the Beatles, but they're doing something that didn't make the transition successfully into the 90s, and yet they did it well. They're doing Kiss. They're doing T-Rex. They're doing David Bowie. They're doing doing this Slade, which I guess that's British. That's probably the the better comparison. But they're doing it from that first track on that first album by calling it Rock and Roll Star. Yeah. I mean that's that should be crap. At that You're point. all in my hands like, tonight. That's that's the first song they're telling you that you are in my hands now. I've got you. So it's it's a pretty impressive act. Yeah, I mean that that's interesting. And I'll be honest, that album, the first album, would not have hooked me on them. It's interesting, and I like it. But similar, I think, to how you kind of experienced it i'm glad and let's jump into it i'm glad i had this second album first the sure. what's the story morning glory i mean that's the one i knew that's the one that was on the radio that's for, to hear you talk about oasis i didn't i i do have some vague memories of walking around with you as you're talking about it and not knowing what you're who you're really talking about until i heard the fucking first hit well, what i thought was the first hit off this maybe not wonderwall the song that yeah, they think, constantly was. write. Was it? Okay. Yeah. That song, that hit, that anthem, that actually, you know, I, I was just saying how they weren't 90s grunge. Wonderwall is the speed that I was working at that time of my life in 1995. It's sad. It's defeated. There's a longing to it. Wonderwall is actually the closest to the music I would have been pursuing. 
you know, it's like a like a heartbroken walk through Kenmore Square is Wonderwall. Yeah. And that that sucked me in, sure. And thankfully, all their songs start sounding like Wonderwall. So of course I'm gonna listen to this <laughs> this 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 album. But like what, do you remember the first time you heard like Wonderwall, is that their biggest hit? Would you say that's what everyone knows them for? Uh yeah, I would definitely say Wonderwall is their biggest hit. Champagne Supernova is probably a close second. Do you like Wonderwall? Do you like that song? Uh I do like Wonderwall. I, I, I can't tire of Wonderwall. I always think that that perhaps I would, uh, but I, I haven't tired of it, no. And they play it. They still play it. They still play it. Um, out here, you'll hear it on the radio at least once a day if you're listening to the radio long enough. It's a good song. It's just, And people know it. I have to say, of all their songs, I think this is what people of all ages still know. And it doesn't ruin the song, right? Like it doesn't. Like not all bands have. All bands have a hit, but not all bands have the. Like Aerosmith will always have to perform "Walk This Way." The <laughs> Rolling Stones probably always have to perform "What Satisfaction." Right. Oasis, which I guess they're disbanded, so we don't have to consider it really. Will always have to play "Wonderwall," and I guess I'm wondering, was that song ruined by being overplayed? And somehow, it's still a personal song to me. That song does still get me in a way that the only other song that well they have two other songs that get me that same way and they were all what hits. That's what's weird. What gets to me. you? What else? Yeah. Well, similar to how Wonder, you know, I was saying Wonderwall was kind of where it was at at that time. More recently, last four or five years, a song that's actually become an anthem for me. Like I play the song a lot. I think about the song a lot. I when I hear it, I'm picturing myself going through stuff. Uh, Don't look back in anger, which I think is the song right after Wonderwall. It is on the Which album, is, correct. Yeah. That, to me, I mean, it's Imagine and it's Revolution and it's all the young dudes. It's all those songs. But it's also, and this is what I don't understand, and this is why I like it now, but I'm like, what were they doing? That's a song about a midlife crisis. You know, that's a song, to me anyways, about where I'm at now. and I And I love it. And I liked the music and the sound of it. You know, that's the thing. Like, I think when I was younger in the 90s, I loved the sound. They have some great musical transitions. He does some yeah. great things with his voice in terms of tone. Most of the subject matter now, wasn't something that interesting. Real quick, though. Um, you're saying he does a lot of great things uh, with his voice. You, at this stage on the second album, we've got two singers. Oh, see, I don't. Oh, the, the British one is the one I'm talking about. The British about. one. Which one is that? So, so uh, Don't Look Back in Anger is sung by Noel. Okay. Who is our Who's lead guitarist. Who sang like Hello? Who sang the first song? And what's the uh, song Liam. Before? Okay, he does some great things where his voice changes octaves and stuff that I really like. Sweet. Um, don't Look Back in Anger I really like. I just, I, I don't get, like that's a song, like why did they write that in their 20s? Like that is a song that actually has a lyrical substance, which I don't think of normally. And I don't know if it's just where I am, but that has relevance to me now. And I've always liked the song, but that really feels like that's where I'm at now. Like, how, what, what do you think that song was about when you were in your 20s and when they were singing it? Like, do you think they thought it was about anything? Because it's a, the Bob Dylan documentary has the same title. I assume that's why they're calling it that. I don't, I don't think they necessarily had an intention um, and and if he did, you know, it was a very private thing, I would imagine. But yeah, um, why would you imagine? I don't think that's the norm. Well, I don't here's, think musicians are private about their think, intentions. I, here, here's why I don't think that he does, because I he has said in interviews that I've I've watched and read that um, he's really sometimes just throwing rhyming words together. And s- specific to this song, 
and I hope I don't ruin it for you. The Don't Look Back in Anger song? To Don't Look Back in Anger. Um, the the part, you know, so Sally can wait. Um, she knows it's too late. He wasn't singing that. And uh, there's a story, there's an interview where Liam um, takes ownership of the of those lyrics because he heard him practicing the song and said, are you are you singing so Sally can wait? That's 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 pretty awesome. Like, what does that mean? You're saying so Sally can wait. He's like, no, I'm not singing that. But I think I'm going to. Yeah, that sounds better. So that's kind of how what that the fuck man was put really? together. Yes. So I'm creating any meaning this song has, and and you're doing that with any song, because the song that's uh, written it, it is meaningful. You are you're you're putting your own I your own ideas exa- I, to any song. There hmm. there might be some songs where they clearly lay out what the song's about. I'm not saying and, clearly, but I'm saying that there's an aspect of poetry, which well-written songs are poetry, that there is some heart in that. Yes, how you perceive it is only how you perceive it. Right. But if I'm touched by, say, you know, a commercial jingle, you know, you know, I'm, I'm try- I can't think of a single one right now. That's, I know that's not the intention. And I know that I'm being attracted to where I was when I heard the jingle or whatever. This is a song that hits my core. And this is a song, maybe it's the music that does it, but why would the music sure. of Don't Look Back in Anger, which is a song that doesn't sound like Wonderwall, why would the music of that convince me that this is about a midlife crisis? There, there's has to be something in it, right? Otherwise, there sh- isn't that a charlatan thing no, to I think not what have you're written saying, a lyric? No, I think what you're saying is right. It's poetry. But it's so, not if what he's doing is just throwing words around. It's not that, but that poetry is, that can be. to rhyme car with jaguar as he will in a few years after this i mean that's not poetry that's bad writing and that for you was, to now tell me that don't look it, back in anger is also bad writing it's maybe it's just lucky writing and maybe it's what does hearing that mean? and what maybe does it's that hearing that random song? thing maybe it's hearing that random thing and realizing that that has some poignancy and keeping it even though it wasn't maybe what you started with you know there's there's many ways that you can get to to a meaningful moment in music do you like this song? I love this song. Why do you like it? And when did you start liking it? Uh, the day I heard it really? is when I started liking it. Um, because it's, and again, it's it's the lyrics are so weirdly ambiguous that it, it can affect you in the ways that it needs to. Um, just, you know, you're... But that's not what he's doing. That's what we're doing with that's it. That's what we're we doing. Yeah, <laughs> and you're right. Maybe that... He wasn't like, oh, this is going to trick everybody into loving the song or whatever. Not I don't trick, know. but there's something about putting something out there and being like, you'll make this what you will, but it still <laughs> comes from somewhere. And for him to say, like, these words rhyme, oh, did you, like, he is he laughing at us for finding meaning in the song? I think he has always been more of a melody. He, As a songwriter, he prefers the melody. He prefers the... The, the 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 tones and the musicality i think lyrics always come to him last um there are rare occasions I think that's apparent <laughs> yeah there are rare occasions where songs do have uh, a deeper meaning um when we get to the last album there's there's one song on that 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 is ripped from his life um and has become a very famous song in the pantheon of oasis um and so he does it. Did there he just are, not write like did he not like writing lyrics? I don't think he did. He wasn't a fan of it. Um, so why was third, he the one writing the lyrics? 
He was the one writing the music, and and he nobody was. else wanted to uh, to to give him any lyrics. That's, but he wrote that's... the music and the words, like Barry Manilow yeah. does. Yes, oh. exactly like that. I don't think I knew that. I don't think I was aware of that. Yeah. Um, with later albums, that changes, but this these first three, um, it's all him. So do you remember the first time you do, the first time you heard Don't Look Back? Is that your favorite song in this album, Don't Look Back in Anger? Did you already say um, that? Off this that? album, it's a, it is, there are so it's many hard. good songs. There it is so a good many album. Good songs. This is um, a solid, amazing 90s album. It is. It really is. And you know what? It's like, it's the song, the, the album's called What's the Story, Morning Glory. And one of the songs that gets talked about least is the song Morning Glory. And I absolutely love that song. I forget it because there's so many other great songs. When I heard it again on this album this this past couple days, I was like, this song is so good. But I probably, if I had to pick one, I would go with She's Electric. That's a fun song. It's a fun, upbeat, poppy song. It's, I remember you like, actually, I remember you liking that song. That's interesting. Yeah. That's very... And if I were to get the Japanese vinyl version of this album, which I don't have... Listeners... Then, then Start that, uh, getting those stamps ready. <laughs> then that the my favorite song would change because on that version of the release they added a song called Bonehead's Bank Holiday. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Which you I mean, don't like apparently. I, well, we're you know we're because focusing I, on what I, I had to sit through. I, that's what I'm saying. I overplayed that song. I absolutely love that song. That is a silly Bonehead. That's, that is the nickname of the rhythm guitarist Paul Arthur's. Obnoxious. Um, oh, he has a real name too. It's not he just does. Head. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that song is great. That is probably their loosest sounding fun song. Noel sings the lead. Um, it is just a silly song. They actually wanted Bonehead to sing it, uh, but he cannot carry a tune. Um, so even though that was part of the the expectation, it was so bad that they had Noel sing it. Uh, it's so much fun. And I only recently discovered this is how fun the song is. Because Noel is singing it, and Liam didn't get to sing, he didn't have much to do. He had to be in the uh, the background. So there's some background background singers, and at one point in the song, Liam in the background actually sings his own name, <laughs> which I only discovered probably about two years ago, and it is the greatest Oasis moment because it's it's I just picture this moment of. Of Liam being pissed off that his brother's got the studio time and he still has to make an appearance. So there's these background singers. And in the song, Noel sings about uh, wish that he was home uh, with his friends. And so he just in the background sings, Liam Gallagher. And you can barely make it out. But once you do hear it, it is just so fucking phenomenal. Because I have a brother. I've got two daughters who are sisters who, who annoy each other. And just picturing Liam Gallagher... Being annoyed with his brother and finding a way to put it on record forever that he includes his own name in a song is just the funniest thing. And that's the thing, too, that we probably won't get into here. I find these guys, you you call them pricks, and they are, but they're also pretty <laughs> damn funny. You like the rivalry. You like the sibling I, rivalry. I, I do. Rock and I roll relate, banter I to that's it, probably sure. staged a little bit. It is. It, there's a lot of it's. It's not. It isn't. It isn't. It's like wrestling. Um, it isn't. It isn't. It got to a point where they realized that that's what the tabloids and and the British press were expecting, and so they overdid it at at one stage. But there are points when when they're coming up 
And then also when they're not the biggest band in the world anymore, where their rapport is hilarious. And the way that they, they talk to each other and they talk about other bands, they're being sarcastic, but it comes off as them being mean. Um, and so if I, I got to show you, I'll, I'll send you a couple other links. I know we were, I sent you some links for the, uh, the show notes. I'll send you a couple more of late era, late era, um, Oasis that I think you'll find humorous. Maybe something I, you just said, or a couple sentences ago, you talk about when they weren't, I think you something about them not being as big as they were. There was a period where they were the biggest band, yes. I think. And maybe and was, not in I America. Um, they were huge. What are you talking about? They, they were they, huge in America. They were, they were they were pretty big in America. They were bigger everywhere else. Okay. Um, but and we're so imagine in America, that. And as, were... as, huge, as huge as you saw them in America, they were bigger everywhere else. What I guess is odd. Like, you know, I, I think about that. I think about this period. I think about this album. And it makes me think of stuff like the Vaselines. It makes me think of stuff like the Laws. These bands that are pretty much known for one, you know, this one game-changing album both i think both are british i'm not sure if the vaselines are british but but what's the story morning glory is an album like that is a soundtrack and a seminal album and an important album with important songs and there's a big and that's it's the one i own i own this oasis album i've had it for a very long time i bought it after i don't think i had it until you moved out to california ah so they were always there it's your it's it's my paul westerberg it's it's because my I, 14 songs. I did the songs. same thing. I, I picked up <laughs> Paul Westberg and the Replacements after leaving you. And it's a great fucking album, and I enjoyed listening to it. I wish this was their only album. Their only I album. I wish this was the thing they did, and then that was it. Because this is such an integral album to our last couple of years in college. This is such a big album for the era. They were so big. I'm not sure what happened after this. The next album, know. Be Here Now, which apparently got amazing, was praised by critics when it came out. Like, it, they loved was, this fucking album. It was one of those albums that was uh, so anticipated. And everyone was already so in love. Well, maybe not everyone, but so many people were already so in love with Oasis. There was sort of this, they, they could do nothing wrong mentality at, at the, the, the point that this album came out. And it sold... Millions. It was the fastest selling album, and it did. It got Be lots of now great, was. great reviews. Yeah, Be Here Now. Um, it was it was great. Um, and then as people actually got to sit back and listen to it, people's opinions changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so people were caught up in the hype of a band yes. versus the music they were doing. What did you think of this when it, when it first came out? What year did this come out? You may have uh, just said it. I'm sorry. It came out in 97. So, okay. yeah, it was uh, 94 for definitely maybe 95 for What's the Story, Morning Glory, and two years later for Be Here Now. And this was the, everyone knew who they were by this point. People knew what was coming out. What did you think when you first, did you get it the day it came out? I got it the day it came out um, at a Tower Records. I was living in LA at the time, Wait, Sherman Oaks. Okay. Um, and I got it the day it came out. I listened to it nonstop for about three or four months, and I I like this album. I you know do. it's got faults, um, and I don't listen to the whole thing. There are songs I skip. Um, I, I don't skip anything on the first two albums, 
Uh, well, I mean, I guess if you want to count the little interstitial things on What's the Story, Morning Glory. You don't skip we- Cast No Shadow off of What's the Story, Morning no, Glory. No, why would I skip Cast or No I'd Shadow? Like, because it sounds like a 1996 Goo Goo Dolls song. <laughs> it's I like Cast No and Shadow. And Wonderwall. <laughs> no, but I skip songs. I skip songs on Be Here Now. Okay. Because I, I'd never heard this album, to be honest. I did, Nothing sounded familiar, and I'm sure it played, but I didn't remember it. Um, well, I mean, it starts with back in the USSR, so I get that. But it's it's, <laughs> it's a very different sound. Like, I wouldn't have known this was them. It sounds like Cheap Trick or something. It sounds like, and I know we disagreed on this earlier, you too. It's it's very orchestral. There's a lot of sound to it. And again, there's I liked it. a lot of noise to it, yes. And yes, there's a lot of feedback to it. And I didn't realize on the first two albums, so maybe I'm wrong, they write some long fucking songs. These are the longer songs. There's a few long songs on the other two. But These just are about, maybe the two long songs? Yeah, this one, uh, first song, second song, third song, eighth song. Nine, yeah, there's a lot of long songs on this one. This was when they also kind of fed into, I think, their We Could Do No Wrong um, and they wanted to do whatever they wanted to do. And what they were doing was mostly cocaine. And <laughs> they just threw everything that they wanted to uh, at this album. There is like one song on here that I think sounds um, reservedly recorded. Yeah, like like it, it, it actually has some layers to it. Whereas everything else is just everything's turned up to 11. What song is that, if I may ask? <laughs> uh, the first song, Do You Know What I Mean? Oh, okay. I like, like that, that song. I like yeah. that start. Again, I would not have known it was them. I just Oh, I knew it right away. Really? I actually here's here's uh here's how I heard this song for the first time, because it was the first single off the album. I had my alarm set to get up and go to work, and it went off, and I shared a room, so I immediately turned it off. I heard about two seconds of whatever song was playing, and in that two seconds I, I turned it off and I thought oh, wait, shit, that's a new Oasis song. And I went to the other room because I didn't want to wake up my roommate. And I, I turned, this, turned the uh, the radio on again. And it was, in fact, do you know what I mean? So I knew and it right was, away. in fact, still playing. Cause it's the <laughs> and it was, song. in fact, still playing. <laughs> Did you know the album was coming out? Oh, yeah, I knew it was coming up. Oh, okay. But yeah, at that time, I didn't have a computer and the internet was still so very young. Um, well, so- I just... Okay, so, but you do, I just, I don't know, something about this feels, it feels like they're growing, they're growing, and they can't stop growing. And maybe you said it when you said they were in the, they were just buying their own hype. But Yeah, I think they were buying their own hype. I think, I've always thought, well, not always, but after sitting with the album and, and, and really hearing it, I feel like what they tried to do, uh, because definitely maybe was more of a rock-sounding album, and uh, what's the story? Morning Glory uh, was more reserved, had more uh, soft songs. It had four Wonder Walls. It had four Wonder Walls. Um, I think they were trying to get back to the rock sound while still giving people the Wonder Walls that they wanted, and it it didn't quite work. So, like, how many instance, Wonder Walls are on this album? Uh, there's at least two. There are at least two Wonder Walls. Stand on by here me now. and don't go away. This is why this album. I'm just like, and maybe this always happens with bands. It just it's it seems like the perfect cinematic 
story. They were too big to do what I at least wanted them to do. Yes. This to me is an odd album. And I don't get why it was reviewed so well. Because uh, it I sounds th- different, but it's not earth breaking like the previous one. No, it, it's really not. And in fact, it's 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 more, I, I still consider it more of a retread. There's probably like two or three songs on here that I think are a step forward. And I but think who needs to get back to this is only their third album. Who needs to get back to basics after releasing three albums? I don't think they're getting back to basics. I think they're just trying to to uh, 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 continue to feed off of the fan base and and give them what they think they want. And I think what they thought they wanted was more of those same two albums. Um, so it's insincere. It's an insincere album. I think to a degree, yes. And to, uh, you'll love this story: the song "Magic Pie." Which you probably have. It a sounds strong... like a Gorillaz song. Yeah, it, yeah, it might. I'll have to listen to that again to to see. But this was again, there was really no thought put into what the song was about. It's called Magic Pie because he misread Magpie. So yes, it is an insincere album. Uh, it is them trying to just continue the the massiveness of who they were as a band. So do you fool yourself into liking it at the time because you're such a fan and you have to like it? Um, I don't think I fooled myself into liking it. I think I, I truly did like it, and I've, I've, and there's songs on here that I still absolutely love, including Magic Pie. I like Magic Pie. I love. Do you know what I mean? Um, I like the girl in the dirty T-shirt. <sighs> I I like all around the world. I know it's 14 minutes long or whatever it, it is. is- Real time around the world, and I had a hard time with that. <laughs> and honestly, my favorite song off this album—if it's not "Do Know," do you know what I mean? It's it's getting better, man. I love that song. Getting better. Open parenthesis, man! Exclamation point. Close parenthesis. <laughs> Two exclamation points. Because they couldn't say all the time because people would accuse them of plagiarism. I just I don't know that that also seems out of character. That song's inconsistent with their brash. Maybe the man helps it, but it's like, that's that's a song aimed at someone else. That's like a, we are the world helpful kind of song. That's not them, right? Um, I don't think, I mean, you could read it that way. I think it's them. I think it's like, our life is awesome and it's only getting better, man. Okay. So it's smug. It's not yeah. telling someone. Okay. Well, that's them. Sure. <laughs> it's a nice chart, actually. The rise and fall of a band almost. But there's actually four albums. And this fourth one that come out in 98, I believe, November 2nd, 1998. Am I right on that? Uh, 99, I thought, but maybe 98. Was it? Um, okay. It's called The Master Plan. 98. It's, uh, it's a compilation. Okay. A compilation of like B-sides and unreleased tracks. Correct. This album, to me, I feel like I, and maybe I'm wrong in this. I remember this album coming out. I remember you had a framed uh, promotional piece of artwork for this. <laughs> I sure did. That you obtained. I had to. I had to go and obtain it. You had to go to a, what was called a listeners party, right? Yeah, I had to go to a listeners party for this. I saw it advertised, and maybe it was the Boston Phoenix or something. Uh, that the first twenty-five people would get a um, exclusive signed poster. Of their new uh, release, The Master Plan. Um, and I had never been to whatever club this was. I n- remember I had to get there by bus. 
And I, I never remember all of this. It sounded so <laughs> mysterious, but so big. I thought the band was going to be there. I thought there'd be hundreds and hundreds of people there. I thought, what is he doing? He's going into a drug den. <laughs> I'd never been there. I'd never traveled by bus in Boston. So I had to make sure I knew what I was doing. I got there and I wanted to be one of the first 25 people. I wanted this poster. So they were open to the doors at, I don't know, 830. And I was there at 715, you know, and I was and I was walking around. I was walking around the neighborhood, checking, you know, every once in a while, making sure the line wasn't starting to form. And, you know, as it's closer to eight. What neighborhood? Where was this? Where, it was where Harvard Square ish. It okay. was over in that direction. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was getting close to the doors opening. Still no line. I didn't really need to be there almost an hour ahead of time. Um, I think two people showed up before the doors opened, including like uh. and myself. So there were three of us. And uh, we walk in and they're playing God knows what, not, not Oasis. Um, nobody else is there except for the bartender and the guy at the door. And we had to say to this guy, hey, um, aren't you supposed to have like a poster or something? And he didn't know. So he had to go talk to his manager. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, let me get those. They were in the back room. He pulls them out. They're fine quality prints of the uh, the cover of this, this collection with all of the band's signatures also just pre-printed on them. They're, they aren't real signatures. And I was just like, what the fuck did I just do? But this is pretty cool. I'm going to frame it for $140. <laughs> which is what i did Jesus. apparently frames in 1998 were higher than they are now yeah but no i, I went and i got it professionally framed with a, a professional matte sizing all that shit and where is that picture now uh in my garage i th- honestly <laughs> honestly i'm i'm telling you the truth it's in my garage and there is pigeon poop on it that i have yet to clean off <laughs> This story, because I lived it as hearing about it and worrying for your safety, because we were living as friends together at the time. This story represents to me a realization. This story represents to me a downfall. This story is Eddie and the Cruisers one and two in that whatever the band, and again, this is an outsider looking in because the band doesn't mean as much to me as it does to you. That one album has three songs that mean a lot to me. But this, to me was all right you had your run you're done (laughs) and what better way to show the big your biggest most dedicated fan bob canning that you're that you're done than to send him off to who knows where to get a rinky dink facsimile of a poster (laughs) with two other people that basically demonstrates the fandom of oasis past yeah. And I love this fucking story because this <laughs> album, it's whatever this album is, we can talk about it, but I just love it because you're still a fan and you sure. stuck with them and they mean something to you. And it's not just that they're the biggest band in the world. It's not just that they have screaming fans. And, and I know you've said you've seen them, so it's not like you had to fight crowds to see them then. You have since. They are your there were your favorite band. And I feel like this story and this experience demystifies something, <laughs> which maybe is what we need to do with things we love. It knocks the pedestal down. And maybe you weren't doing this. Again, I'm projecting a little bit. It's like, 
they're not a social phenomenon now. They're just a band. And being just a band is far more impactive. Because a social phenomena, everybody bites into shares and says the same thing. It's Watchmen in 2009 when everybody had the fucking book and everyone was suddenly in the comics. You hate that. Well, I, I, it's childish. I, I shouldn't because that's how we get these things out there. And that's how Oasis was able to make more albums because they had a fan base. But the relationship, I think we need to be reminded sometimes that our relationship with the music is with the music. And it's personal and it's not. It's life-changing for us, but it's not world-changing. Yeah. A bartender who forgot why he was there <laughs> can't take away from you that this means something to you and only you. Like, how much better to <laughs> hear that album? I'm assuming you listen to it. You're talking about this night? This listening yeah. party? I got my poster, saw what the situation was, and left. So you didn't hear the album that night? No. I didn't need to. I mean, they're all B-sides that I already had. Oh, okay. So I was just there for the poster. <laughs> Had the vibe been different? I, I mean, I was prepared to hang out with a bunch of Oasis fans. And that wasn't about to happen. So so I left. Okay. Well, that's nice. <laughs> I, again, and, and I'm, I'm trying to think how to wrap this up. Like, what else? What, do, you, do you have some other things you wanted to say specifically? Like, what? I, I don't know if we got into what you wanted to talk about. Yeah, just this initial experience of of discovery of discovering a band a tv show i mean there's nothing that beats that i mean it's such a cool great feeling when when you just connect with something to the point where you want just to know everything about it um it's it's a great feeling i'm glad that i've had the experience i'm glad it's oasis you know i'm glad it wasn't you know, Hootie and the Blowfish that I just kept following for years and years and years. <laughs> that we just spoke about for an hour and whatever. <laughs> yeah. Have you, so, how you, that experience that you're just explaining, have you had that exact experience with other things or is Oasis kind of its own independent feeling for that? Um, there, there's nothing, I've, I've had no experience like Oasis. I've had similar, um, Similar experiences, but nothing as strong and as immediate as Oasis. I think I do it with a couple other bands. I did it with Travis, um, and Travis ends up being the the better band that had the longevity and and kept putting out good music. And I think part of the reason Travis does that is because they never became as huge as Oasis. Um, I did it with the, another band, Gomez. That was a band I was really into and picked up as much as I could uh, when they came out. Um, I haven't, I've done it with some move like, I don't know, movies and TV shows. It's kind of different because a movie is just a movie. I guess you can get the books about it and all that stuff. So I guess I really haven't done it with anything but music because um, I don't have any other uh, pop culture that I have um, other mediums of, of things like Oasis, it's posters, it's books, it's DVDs, it's the albums. Um, but you know, there isn't a TV show that I don't just have that TV show. You know what I mean? Okay. Do you know what I mean? I think so. I mean, I, I'm i just happy to hear you talk about Oasis. And I will say, you changed, I don't know if you changed my mind, you halted the more acidic angle I was set <laughs> to take. Because you genuinely love it. And I think- There's a joy there. I, 
I don't do this with the things I love, and I wish I could. I don't get other people to like the things I like. I talk about it, and I own it, and I won't shut up about it, but I'm not making someone suddenly enjoy the Inhumanoids or the epoxies <laughs> or something just by talking about them. And, and, yeah. and again, it helps that I know them, and it helps that I listened to some of these albums. It didn't help that I listened to all four, but you, you genuinely make, made me appreciate this band more. Not just, I mean, I don't, I don't think I'm going to go back and listen to anything, but what's the story of Morning Glory? But I'm also not just going to relegate them to being, by the way, three hit wonders is pretty impressive. (laughs) But no, they, they, I know their importance to you and I do like hearing that side of it and you've made me like them a little bit more. I'm glad that I could. That feels good. That was our episode. Our episode is now done. But if you liked even part of this episode, know that there are a bunch of other episodes that you can listen to. Um, You can check us out by visiting 20popcast.com. That's the main website. And when you're there, you'll see the most recent episode up for streaming. There are links to all the past episodes. You can listen to those as well. Plus, if you are enjoying the show, why not subscribe to it? Why not use whatever Android or Apple device, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, however it is you hear podcasts, we're on it. So why not subscribe to us? You'll find links again at 20popcast.com. Subscribe to us there. You'll get a new episode every week. And if you can, if you do listen to us on Apple uh, Podcasts, if you could drop a little review, give us uh, however many stars you think we're worth, or, or better yet, a little text review, it helps us out. We like to hear it. It helps our egos or hurts us. If you don't like us, either way is fine. Um, the, the, you can also, uh, what can you do? You can check us out on Facebook. And you can also now, we have our own official for the show, Twitter and Instagram uh, pages. It only woo-hoo! took over a year for that. I know, woohoo. Oh, that was a hot mic, that was a very hot mic. Um, but yeah, if you're if 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 you want, you can follow uh, 20th Century Pop at 20 Popcast on Twitter, as well as at 20 Popcast on Instagram. Uh, you can also follow me, uh, Tim Blevins at Subcultist. Uh, Bob, what about you? You can follow me on Twitter as well at RH Canning. And I'll also plug, I haven't updated it in a while, but you can go back and read through old posts of my mixtape blog where I go back and listen to old mixtapes in chronological order and write about them. You could find that at superultramegamix.wordpress.com. Superultramegamix.wordpress.com? That's right. Superultramegamix.wordpress.com. Great. And uh, yeah, I would check that out. I bet there's some uh, Oasis references there. I'm pretty sure the first post is about Oasis, but there are at least 30 other posts. So check it out. Also about Oasis. (laughs) Thank you for checking us out. Uh, We'll be back next week. We're wrapping up the summer a bit. So maybe it'll be summer themed and the summer theme. Maybe it'll be start a fall theme. Maybe it'll be neither of those. I don't know. I thought something would come to me and it didn't. So thank you for listening to this. Bob, I would leave it in your hands to end this episode. Toot! You know, I think I've cut that out of every every time. Accidentally. I've been saying But maybe this time it'll be... You've been saying toot, so maybe it'll stay. Maybe we'll use it. I hope so. Maybe that's our catchphrase. Uh, We'll see. We'll we'll, We'll hear. We'll have to listen. Toot. Would it be weird if when we started, I had the wrong band? <laughs> we were actually, you were talking about Oasis, and I was talking about 
Billy Ocean. That that would be weird. I think I we'd think figure so. it out pretty quickly, though. It would be weirder if we didn't. Like if it went the whole episode, and like we True. got it. True. True. Yeah. Right. We should try that sometime on an unsuspecting guest. We should like give them a topic completely unrelated to what you and I are going to talk about <laughs> and see how long it takes them to to understand what's going on. That'd be great. Also, is an ocean the opposite of an oasis? Did that make sense or is that not? That's um, not right. I guess n- no, it's not really right. Because a desert, I guess, would be the opposite of an ocean and an it's oasis. Like Sandy Duncan would have been a good answer. Yes, if we were Sandy Duncan and Billy Ocean are opposites. But Sandy yes. Duncan and Oasis are not opposites. Not directly, no. Jesus. They In fact, you can't name. have one without the other, I don't think. It's like love and marriage. <laughs> right? That which is a song that they sing. <laughs> That's not quite a song they sing. Is it not? Did I they sing Married to Children, which is they, the name of a show that uses oh, the song Love and Marriage as their theme song. You're right. The whole time I listen to that, I'm like, this doesn't, this isn't how it goes. But that's why. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Let yeah. me take, let me, instead of taking a sip, let me drink this whole cup of whiskey <laughs> and then we'll start. All right.